This is Reverend Kirk Lawton, minister at Ocean Lakes Family Campground, and this is our podcast. Our prayer is that this message may enrich your life as you find God especially meaningful to you. Thank you for worshiping with us. I heard of a situation that was once faced by a young preacher who, after his first year of preaching, felt that he had run out of things to preach. He went to an older and a wiser preacher and said, tell me, what do you preach on when you don't know what to preach? You're not sure what the congregation needs. The older pastor replied, son, just preach on repentance, for there is no congregation on earth where somebody there does not need to repent. Well, let me make a confession to you, Ocean Lakes or those listening by podcast. I have not run out of subjects to preach, but I do want to take the advice of that older preacher this morning. And so today we're thinking about repentance. This is not a subject that a lot of people enjoy very much. One reason for this is because it involves our facing ourselves as we really are. Most people don't like to take a close look at themselves. We're somewhat like the old hillbilly woman who became suspicious of her husband and his frequent trips to town. And one time when he returned home, he changed clothes, went out to do some yard work. His wife sneaked in and started looking through his pockets. She found in one pocket of her husband's clothes a mirror, which was something she had never even seen before. She didn't know what that was. She took a long, hard look at that thing, thinking it was a picture. And then she said to herself, "Uh uh-huh, so that's the old battle axe Paul's been shining up to. (laughs) We really do not recognize ourselves when we see ourselves as we really are, do we? Not always a pleasant thing to take a close look at ourselves. And repentance makes us do just that. There's probably as much misunderstanding as to the meaning of real repentance as there is on any other subject in the Bible. Great Bible scholar of years ago, Dr. A.T. Robertson, said that the word repent is perhaps the most unfortunate translation in the Bible. When the translators came to that Greek word that stood for the attitude of the heart, which is so necessary for salvation, they could find no word in the English language which exactly matched the meaning in Greek. But the nearest word they could find, which fit fit that word, uh, repent, was that word itself. They used the word repent, describing that attitude of the heart necessary for salvation. The true idea behind this word cannot be expressed in just one English word, though. It means something far deeper than would appear on the surface. Throughout history, there have been some groups which have apparently been satisfied with the one word. Some concluded that this meant to do penance or to suffer physically or mentally for one's sin. Some of you who may remember your church history will recall those days when Martin Luther was so thoroughly disgusted with the perversions he saw in the church of his day. One of the most wretched misinterpretations of biblical truth back then was in this idea of repentance. You see, according to the teachings of the church in his day, a person would go to a priest and confess his sin. The priest would then supposedly forgive those sins, provided the person would do penance 
and suffer for his sins. This penance could take one of many directions. For a minor sin, the priest might demand that the sinner wear a large grain of sand or a small pea in his shoe for 10 days. In cases of greater sins, the penalty might be more severe. One example was given of a man who was ordered to start from England in the dead of winter without extra clothing, food, or money. This person was commanded then to walk to Jerusalem. The record shows that many of the people so ordered died along the road from starvation or from the cold or from robbers. And yet these people had the mistaken idea that they were repenting. Such practices are a far cry from what the Bible really means by repentance. Biblical repentance is not this kind of punishment in any sense of the word. True repentance, repentance is not an act that one can do. It is an attitude of the heart. Have you ever traveled in the wrong direction down a one-way street? Maybe you're driving, you go a short distance and you begin to notice cars parked on both sides of the street, all facing your way. Uh-oh, all the signs on the street are placed for people traveling in the other direction. And so as you proceed, you notice cars pulling over to the side, perhaps some people blowing their horns at you, others shaking their fists out the window at you. People who happen to be standing on the sidewalk shout and wave their arms at you. About that time, if not before, your sweet wife says to you, Honey, I think this is a one-way street. And then your loving child in the back seat adds another word of encouragement also. She says, Daddy, how can you be so stupid? <laughs> what is the foremost thought in your mind at that point? You want to turn around and you want to go in the other direction. This desire to turn around in our relationship with God is called repentance. Sometimes we find ourselves going in the wrong direction in our lives and we're overcome with a desire to turn around. Repentance is a change of direction. It is turning back toward God. Now, just for a few minutes, I want you to look with me at a few examples in the Bible where repentance is spoken of. Let's see how important it is. First, uh, John the Baptist, or better title is John the Baptizer. This is not a denominational label that man had. When John the baptizer stepped from the wilderness of Judea, he began to preach, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's Matthew 3, verse 2. He further declared in the next sentence that he was the voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. John was saying that Jesus would come after him and would usher in a kingdom the only way into which would be through the door of genuine repentance. When John spoke those words, however, there were some who did not care to repent. They wanted to get to heaven, but they wanted to get there by baptism or by being morally clean or by observing the rules of religious ceremony. And to these people, John laid down a stern warning. Matthew 3, verses 7 and 8. Let me read them. This is the King James. O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth therefore fruits, meet for repentance. There's another translation by Charles Williams. He translates that same passage in these words. 
you brood of vipers. Who warned you to escape from the wrath that's coming? Produce then fruit that is consistent with the repentance you profess. I want to read that also in one other, the contemporary English version. Many Pharisees and Sadducees also came to be baptized, but John said to them, you bunch of snakes, who warned you to run from the coming judgment? Do something to show that you have really given up your sins. Wow, John didn't mince words, did he? Snakes, you people. Well, let's look at also another person in the Bible. This is uh, Jesus himself. What do you have to say about repentance? In his very first sermon, Jesus sounded the note of repentance. We read in Matthew 4, verse 17, From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Did you know the last word of our Lord to the church? What it is? Many people think it's the Great Commission. Go you therefore and teach all nations and so forth. No, the Great Commission is indeed our program to the end of the age. But that's not our Lord's last word before he went back to heaven. His last word is repent. And that was his command to five of the seven churches in Asia, spoken by the risen Christ, recorded in the book of Revelation. Look also at the words of another person in the New Testament, Paul the Apostle. One day as Paul was speaking to some of the most brilliant minds of his day, he said to them, at the times of this ignorance, they talking about worship of idols and so forth, God winked at, but now commands all men everywhere to repent because he has appointed a day in which he will judge the world. That's Acts 17 verses 30 and 31. Can you think of anything that's more important to us today than repentance? The first message of John the baptizer was repentance. The first message of the Son of God was repentance. His last words to the church were on repentance. The first message of the newly commissioned disciples was on repentance. Jesus said that unless people repent, they will perish. Oh, what message could possibly be more important to us today? Now, let's be a little practical here. If you really wanted to repent, how would you go about it? How can you test yourself to see if you are serious about repentance? Let me mention several things that are involved in true repentance. First, repentance involves the conviction of sin. No person can repent until he or she is convicted of sin. Unless there's real conviction of sin, a person will go on and on and on, continuing in sin, no matter how evil or how open the sin might be. You remember in the Old Testament, David sinned greatly in God's sight, but it was not until he was convicted of his sin that he cried out, as recorded in Psalm 51, against thee, thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. No real repentance comes unless there's a conviction of sin. I remember when I was a little boy, we used to hear people talking about churches having revivals and we'd uh, hear people talking about a person who was at a revival or some maybe a regular church service who was under conviction. 
And the way they described that person as the, the last hymn, the invitation hymn was sung, that person would stand there holding the pew in front of him, the knuckles of his hand turning white, perspiration forming on his brow, that person feeling the urgent need to move forward and to make a public profession of faith and to get right with God. That was an individual who indicated conviction in his heart. But repentance involves something else also. It involves godly sorrow for sin. Now there's two kinds of sorrow. One is sorrow, all right, but it's not the kind of sorrow that leads to repentance. It might be called worldly sorrow. That's sorrow that got caught or one has to pay the penalty of sin. Godly sorrow is totally different. This is the kind of sorrow that the prodigal son had when he confessed, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight. I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. Luke 15, verse 21. This is the kind of sorrow that that publican had when he beat on his breast, kneeling at the altar there, publican and the Pharisee together. And the Pharisee said, God, I'm grateful I'm not as bad as that old guy over there, that old publican. I'm not like he is. But the publican said, oh, he beat on his breast, said, oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's godly sorrow. Godly sorrow is different from remorse. In the hours before and during Jesus' suffering on the cross, two of his disciples, Judas and Peter, were guilty of serious sins against Jesus. Judas betrayed Jesus. Peter denied him. They confessed their sins, but one committed suicide and the other found forgiveness. What was the difference between these two? Of Judas, we read, he departed and went out and hanged himself, Matthew 27, 5. Of Peter, we read, he went out and wept bitterly, Luke 22, verse 62. When you put these two statements alongside each other, you see the real difference between godly sorrow and remorse or worldly sorrow. Remorse can often lead to suicide but godly sorrow leads to salvation. Let me mention another thing that real repentance involves, and that is giving up our sins. A Sunday school teacher asked her pupil one day what repentance meant. One little boy raised his hand and spoke up quickly. I know what it is, teacher. It's being sorry for your sins. But a little girl beside him held up her hand. She said, I think it means being sorry enough to quit. I want to tell you a story that happened to me when I was pastor many years ago of a church here in Myrtle Beach. There was a dear saintly lady. Her name was Miss Perry. And uh, I, I visited Miss Perry often. One day I was visiting her and she came to the door in the house where she lived. She owned her own home. But before she opened the screen door to ask me to come in, she first reached down and picked up her little barking dog. It was sort of like a miniature chihuahua or something, feisty little creature. Well, everybody in that church knew Miss Perry and what a sweet person she was, but they also knew that she had a dear little dog who bites. And so when I went to the door, Miss Perry saw me on the other side of the screen door. She welcomed me very cordially and she said, Oh, preacher, I'm so glad to see you. Uh, my little dog will bite you, but come on in. 
<laughs> now, in all fairness, I must say that Moonlight had never had a taste of religion, at least not from me. But I recall Miss Paris telling me one time about how she tried to correct this bad habit in her little dog. Once after he had snapped at somebody, she gave him a severe scolding, all during which he drooped his head and looked up at her so pitifully with expressions of sorrow written all over his face. But then when her sermon was over, he went right back to his old ways and tried to bite again. Real repentance means that we're so sorry for our sins, we want to give them up. Some people are willing, willing to give up some of their sins. They'll readily forsake all their sins except ones nearest and dearest to their heart. Repentance means willingness to give up all your sins, even those nearest and dearest to you. There's not a single person listening to my voice right now who has the slightest hope of going to heaven if you have not earnestly repented of your sins. There's just no other way around this. Jesus commanded us to repent. On one occasion, the colorful preacher, Peter Cartwright, visited Nashville, Tennessee, and he was invited to preach in one of the Methodist churches of that city. Just as he was about to begin his sermon, the pastor whispered to Peter Cartwright in his ear, I want you to know President Andrew Jackson has just come into our sanctuary. Be careful not to say anything to offend him. Well, when Peter Cartwright stood up a few moments later to preach, he began his sermon saying something like this. I've just been told by your good pastor here that President Jackson has just entered the church and that I must be careful not to say anything to offend. Now, that's fine. But I must say this, if Andrew Jackson does not repent of his sins and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, he will go to hell just as surely as the worst sinner on earth. <laughs> it was said that from that day forward that President Jackson was a great admirer of Peter Cartwright. Some of you may remember what Billy Graham has, one of his many statements he said, if there ever was a time when we need national repentance of our sins and turning to God, it is right now. I want to tell you about an experience I had when uh, my father was in the hospital here in Myrtle Beach. There was one of the nurses, a, a wonderful black lady who came in and began sharing with us how she came to know Jesus. She was not at all offensive but boy, did she ever get excited. She told my daddy and me how many years ago she had heard somebody preaching about Jesus being nailed up on the cross, nailed there because of our sin. And this wonderful nurse said, you know, I just felt terrible. I was the one who drove those nails. I was the one who stuck that spear in his side. I was the one who put him up there. And then this wonderful nurse went on to say that when she confessed her sins and was forgiven, she felt Jesus' love come pouring into her heart and her life was now radiant. Well, she didn't have to tell us that her life was radiant. It, it showed in everything she said and did. One person may say, I believe in Jesus Christ and I've been baptized. But God says, but have you repented of your sins? 
Another person says, I'm trying to live right to the best of my ability, but God asks, have you repented of your sins? Another person says, I'm a faithful worker in my church. I give my money to support my church. But God continues to ask, have you repented of your sins? Still another says, I say my prayers every day and I ask God to forgive me of my sins. But God asks, but have you repented of your sins? See, God does not ask how much we pray, how much money we give, how faithful we are, or how good we are. God says, have you repented of your sins? Some people think that repentance is something that God requires only of the extremely wicked people, not of the morally upright. That's just not so. Jesus says, unless you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Do you have some repenting that you need to do right now? I want to close what I have to say this morning by telling you a story that uh, came to me some time ago. It's a story about the treasure. It's written by a lady named Alice Gray. Let me use her words. I think it means more, more, more meaningful. <coughs> the cheerful little girl with bouncy curls was almost five years old. Waiting with her mother at the checkout stand, she saw them, a, a circle of glistening white pearls and a pink foil box. Oh, please, Mommy, can I have them? Please, Mommy, please. Quickly, the mother checked the back of the little foil box and then looked back into the pleading blue eyes of her little girl's upturned face. Let's see, a dollar ninety-five. That's almost two dollars. If you really want them, I, I can think of some extra chores for you. And in no time, you can save enough money to buy them for yourself. You know, your birthday is only a week away, and, and you might get another crisp dollar bill from Grandma. <coughs> you can tell this was many years ago, can't you? Well, as soon as Jenny got home, she emptied her piggy bank, and she counted out 17 pennies. After dinner, she did more than her share of chores, and she went on to the neighbors, asked Mrs. McJames if she could pick dandelions out of, her out of her yard for 10 cents. On her birthday, Grandmama did give her another new dollar bill, and at last she had enough money to buy that necklace. Jenny loved her pearls. They made her feel dressed up and grown up. She wore them everywhere, Sunday school, kindergarten, even to bed. The only time she ever took them off was when she went swimming or had a bubble bath. Mother told her if they got wet, they might turn her neck green. Well, Jenny had a very loving daddy. Every night when she was ready for bed, he would stop whatever he was doing and come upstairs to read her a story. One night when he had finished the story, he asked Jenny, Jenny, do you love me? Oh, yes, daddy, she said. You know that I love you. Then give me your pearls. Oh, Daddy, not my pearls. But you can have Princess, that white horse from my collection. You know, the one with the pink tail? Remember, Daddy, that's the one you gave me. She's my favorite of all. That's okay, honey, Daddy. Daddy loves you. Good night. And he brushed her cheek with a kiss. About a week later, after the story time, Jenny's Daddy asked her again, Jenny, do you love Daddy? 
Daddy, you know I love you. Then give me your pearls. Oh, Daddy, not my pearls. You can have my baby doll, the brand new one I got for my birthday. She's so beautiful. You can have the yellow blanket that matches the sleeper. That's okay, said her daddy. Sleep well, darling. God bless you. Daddy loves you. And as always, he brushed her cheek with a gentle kiss. A few nights later, when Daddy came in, Jenny was sitting on her bed with her legs crossed Indian style. As he came close, he noticed her chin was trembling and one silent tear rolled down her cheek. What is it, Jenny? What's the matter? Jenny didn't say anything, but she lifted her little hand up to her daddy. And when she opened her fist, there was her little pearl necklace. With a little quiver in her voice, she finally said, Here, Daddy, it's for you. With tears gathering in his own eyes, Jenny's kind Daddy reached out with one hand to take that little dime store necklace. And with the other hand, he reached into his pocket and he pulled out a blue velvet case with a strand of genuine pearls and gave them to Jenny. He had had them all the time. He was just waiting for her to give up those dime store necklace, that dime store necklace, so he could give her genuine treasure. Oh, how so this is like our Heavenly Father. Pray with me. Thank you so much, O oh God, for the fact that even when we try to hold on to simple earthly things that are cheap and worthless, you have something far, far more wonderful for us. And that is salvation through the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus, your Son. Lord, help us to be willing to turn loose, to really to repent of our sins, to give up what we've been clinging to, and to know that in return, you give us what is only that soul-satisfying blessing. Thank you for who you are, O oh God, and for who you are to us when we let you do it. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.